Well, good morning, church. If you have your Bibles, open up to uh, Psalm 17. Um, Pastor Rich kicked off a new series for us uh, last Sunday. We're switching kind of weekends off. And uh, so some of you know we've been around for a little bit. So it's kind of during the summer, you know, a lot of people are traveling, different things. I enjoy preaching through the Psalms a little bit during the summer because they're just all contained. You don't have to have been here last week to hear the background information. So we're going to be in Psalms uh, through the rest of the summer and then First Peter in the fall. Um, and so the way that we kind of uh, looked at these Psalms is we're trying to purposely choose Psalms that are vision forward, the things that we've been talking about throughout our assessment and different things. And so this morning, and God has a wonderful way of working, we're talking about prayer, which if you were here for uh, Dr. Stence's presentation this morning, was also on prayer. So God is moving us this morning in this topic of prayer. Um, several years ago, I don't even remember when it was, and I was trying to remember how it actually first started, but I think, uh, um, I think Sean Fishback posted something that he saw at the dollar store on Facebook, and I just had to go see it for myself. Uh, I went over there, and there was these, uh, the dollar store had these Bible action figures that they were selling, um, little tiny ones, about this big. I don't know who's purchasing these things. They ended up at the dollar store, so not very many people, apparently. But the reason why I had to purchase one for a dollar is this is uh, clearly Jesus in his white robe and blue sass. As we all know, that's what he looked like. Uh, And he's extremely white uh, and uh, has a beard. And he is labeled Mary. (laughs) And uh, the old youth pastor part of me just had to get this. I mean, who... Who was doing the packaging that did not see that this was clearly Jesus? Um, You know, our Bible literacy in today, in our nation, and truth be told, in our churches, is not where it should be. And there's three things I think that I could probably, other than the gospel, which I try to make sure we're looking at every Sunday, there's three things I think that we could continually preach on in the church, and that's prayer making disciples, and what we do with our money. Uh, And as you look at the ministry of Jesus, those were three of his big topics as well. So things haven't changed. So here at the church, one of our values is prayer. Um, Rich and I have been kicking around the term recently, prayer moves mountains. You know, from that uh, time where Jesus says, you know, if you have faith, you can tell the mountain to, you know, get in the ocean. I've never had that need. Uh, I think there would be big, huge environmental problems if I did. Um, But the point is that when we pray, God can do incredible things. He can move mountains. We believe that as a church. And so we want to talk about prayer this morning, and I've chosen Psalm 17 uh, to initiate that conversation. So we're going to look at Psalm 17. I want to spend a little time this morning uh, reviewing our, we did a prayer series at the beginning of the year, and so I want to review a few of the things we talked about then. And then we're going to look at David's, where David's confidence comes from in this psalm, where our confidence comes from. And then a prayer that we can pray all the time, regardless of whether we feel like God is saying no. When God is saying no, what is it that we can, one prayer we can pray all the time that we know that God will answer? So, a review where David's confidence comes from, where our confidence comes from, and then what to do when God is saying no, what we can pray. So Psalm 17, a prayer of David. Hear a just cause, O Lord, attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer, 
from lips free of deceit. From your presence, let my vindication come. Let your eyes behold the right. You have tried my heart. You have visited me by night. You have tested me, and you will find nothing. I have purposed that my mouth will not transgress. With regard to the works of man, by the word of your lips, I have avoided the ways of the violent. My steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. I call upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me. Hear my words. Wondrously show your steadfast love, O Savior of those who seek refuge, from their adversaries at your right hand. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. From the wicked who do me violence, my deadly enemies who surround me. They close their hearts to pity. With their mouths they speak arrogantly. They, they have now surrounded our steps. They have set their eyes to cast us to the ground. He is like a lion eager to tear, as a young lion lurking in ambush. Arise, O Lord, confront him, subdue him, deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword. From men by your hand, O Lord, from men whose world, uh, uh, world whose portion is in this life. You fill their womb with treasure, they are satisfied with children, and they leave their abund abundance to their infants. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. Just reviewing a few things that we talked about uh, in prayer. We were looking for a definition of prayer, and throughout our series, we used Timothy Keller's definition. Prayer is personal. Uh, prayer is a personal, communicative response to the knowledge of God. I love Timothy Keller, uh, and so we were kind of looking at that a little bit. But it is a little bit heady and wordy, and so I kind of changed it just a little bit. So here's a good working definition of prayer. When Timothy Keller... Keller says personal, he's talking about our personal relationship with God. So prayer is a relational conversation with God. At its very core, prayer is simply talking with God. But it is relational. And the closer we are in relationship with God, the more personal that communication is. Just like a marriage, the more that we talk, the closer we get. Okay, just like a friendship. We can have friends, but we got to communicate. We got to talk. We got to share. And so prayer is a relational conversation with God. Now, Timothy Keller says that it's based on our knowledge of God. I like that. But let's say that a different way. It's based on who he is and what he is doing. And these things, who God is and what he is doing as we are conversing with him, it draws us closer into his presence. What I mean by it, we talked about in this series is that we, we looked at the fact that the more we know about God, the more intelligent or directed our prayers are. And so to put that a different way, when we know what God is doing, what he's about, when we know who he is, what his character is like, it directs how specifically we can pray. And these things draw us closer into God's 
presence. We talked about three different levels of prayer, ask, seek, and knock from Matthew chapter seven. And there's sometimes when you're praying and you ask God for something, and that's great. But there's other times when it gets a little bit more intense. When we're seeking God, when, we're, when we've lost something and we're seeking after it, we kind of move our priorities around a little bit so that we can actually get find that. And so seek is a little bit more intense and knock is when we're kind of at God's door going, oh Lord, right? And so we talked about those three different levels of prayer. What do we pray for? Uh, we looked at uh, some of the things that God is about and we talked about praying for the prodigal, praying for the lost, praying for the impossible, praying for the sick, uh, talking about praying when we feel like the devil's pursuing us. And then we had some dangerous prayers. Search me, break me, use me, send me. So prayer moves mountains. What mountains does God move? And I want to say, and I, keep, I feel like I keep, need to keep saying this. We believe that God still works miracles today. So if we're going to prayer, it's okay to pray for miraculous things because we believe that God can do that. And I think sometimes as Baptists, we kind of shy away from that. If God, if you, if you possibly, maybe could, if this, that, and we give God a bite, just pray that God is gonna do incredible things. Now, one of the things we said in that series is sometimes the mountain that God moves is me. Sometimes as I'm praying, the thing that actually changes is my heart, my attitude, my way. And that's a mountain that needs to be moved. Now, sometimes we're praying that God will move a mountain in somebody else. And sometimes he does that, but more often than not, right, it's the mountain that he moves in me. So God still does miraculous things. He moves mountains uh, in me. He moves the hearts of other people. He unites our hearts when we pray together. And one of the greatest things is as we're praying and we're praying for other people's needs, sometimes God prompts us to go, I want to answer that prayer through you. That's a good idea. We should take care of that. Why don't you get your checkbook out? Okay, so those are some of the things that God does in prayer. Now, I chose Psalm 17. We were reading through Psalms uh, as a church, we, we finished up. And uh, this is one of, I, those of you who know me know I love the Psalms, but when I'm reading through Psalms, this is one of the Psalms, when I get to it, it just makes me feel a little uncomfortable. This isn't one of my favorite Psalms. And so for me, if I want to kind of figure out what's going on, I need to study it a little bit more, so I'll put it in my preaching cue so I can kind of learn something about it. And here's why it makes me feel uncomfortable. David is really confident in this prayer. He is just beaming with confidence. What, what, is, uh, what is David, why is he confident? Where is it coming from? There's three things that he's confident about on your notes there. David is confident that he is innocent. That's what makes me uncomfortable with this psalm. If you're just kind of, if you're listening, he says, hear a just cause, O God. He says, give ear to my prayer from lips free of deceit. The end of verse two, he said, let your eyes behold the right. Wow. I mean, he just is, he's laying it on here that he is innocent in all these things. That makes me feel uncomfortable. 
I'm just saying, I, I don't know that I want to use this model for my daily, daily prayer list all, all the time. The second thing where David's confidence, he is confident that God will answer. Look at verse six. I call upon you for you what? Will answer. Not might answer. You will answer. He's pretty confident. And the other thing that's beaming in confidence in this psalm is God's love for him. He says, part of his prayer is wondrously, verse seven, show your steadfast love, your loyal love. Oh, savior of those who seek refuge. Verse eight, keep me as the apple of your eye. You see how he's just beaming with confidence of God's love for him. So why is David so confident? This is where study comes in because I think when we look at this, partially David's confidence in his innocence is situational. David is not saying, I am right all the time. He is not saying, look at me a just cause, O God. He is not saying, I have kept my lips from deceit all my life. And what David is saying is in this situation with these violent people who have surrounded him and were ready to tear him apart, he says, God, I looked at this situation and this isn't me. Situationally, now we don't know which situation it is. I mean, David has been hidden from enemies more than once, right? The, the king was, Saul was pursuing him. The Philistines are pursuing him. This group of people is pursuing him. Who knows his son was pursuing him for a while. So we don't know who, which situation this is, but David is saying, look, I've looked at it. I'm innocent in this. Because I'm innocent in this, I'm confident you are going to work. Now, the other reason why David is confident here is that he has examined his life. Now, church, listen to this. This is an important aspect of the Christian life. We talk about it in terms of communion, that at the commu before we come to the communion table, one should examine himself. Now, historically, and I've told you this before, historically in churches, before communion, the pastor or elders would come to your house and examine you. Whether you were ready to come to the communion table or not, you were kind of given a ticket if you passed. We have taken this idea of coming before a holy God sometimes too casual. There's a place to examine our own life. James Montgomery Boyce in his commentary suggested a few different areas in which we should examine our life. First of all, most obvious, are we being disobedient anywhere? Is there anywhere in my life where I'm being disobedient to God's commands, his will, his direction for my life. In fact, in another psalm, the psalmist says, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Am I cherishing any, any iniquity in my heart, any sin? Second question to ask, are we being selfish? Wow, that's a, that's a great question. God, is there any part of my life in which I'm being selfish? Remember the Lord's Prayer, 
we looked at in, a lot in our series on prayer. And one of the things I kept trying to point out to you is that it's plural. Give us this day our daily bread. It's not a family prayer. Lord, give, give, us, give us what we need to. It's, it's community. Give us. Is there any ways where we're being selfish? Are we neglecting something we should be doing? We often fo focus on the sins of commission, those things that we're supposed to do, uh, or, uh, that God says that we uh, shouldn't do and we do it, but often we forget to talk about the sins of omission, or what I like to call the sins of no mission. God's called us to go make disciples. That's something the pastor can do. God's called us to pray. Ah, well, there's a group of other people that do that. God's called, called me to love my neighbor. Well, you don't know my neighbor. Look, there's things that God has been saying for you to do if you're not doing, and those are sins of omission or no mission. Another area where we should examine our life is, is there a wrong that we need to make right? Are our priorities in order? So why is David so confident? He's confident because it's situational. He's confident because he has taken the time to examine his life. And I'm encouraging you, I'm challenging you today to take time in your daily prayer and Bible study to examine your own life. Third, on your notes there, God has examined his life. He says in verse three, you have tried my heart. You have visited me by night. He, he's, he knows that not only has he been examining his life, but God's been examining his life. Now, it's not very explicit in this psalm, but when we look at verses four and five, he says in the second part of verse four, I have avoided the ways of the violent. And then verse five, my steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. You, you can almost hear Psalm one in this. And I think what we see is that another part of David's confidence is that he's applying God's word to his life. If you, the fear of the Lord, the beginning of the fear of the Lord is, is wisdom. Wisdom is the beginning that you, you, you apply God's word to your life. We don't just listen to it. We don't just come to church. We don't just come and talk about it. There needs to become a place where it becomes part of something we do, we act out. And then finally, I think throughout the Psalms and, and here specifically, David believes in the power of prayer. And I, I want to say intellectually, those of you who've been in the church for a while, and I know there's people in different places in their life right now, but if you grew up in the church, you've been around, been around here for a while, you're, you're a follower of Jesus, you go, yeah, I believe in the power of prayer. Um, yeah, I believe that God changes things. I believe that we should be praying. I believe that God still works miracles, but somehow we think that it happens for other people. That that's kind of set apart for special people. And we believe it, but maybe not in our life. And what I want for us as a church, that our prayer becomes a relational communication with God based on who he is and what he's doing. 
that draws us into his presence, that it becomes something that we all know deeply, that God answers prayer. So where does our confidence come from? Now, as I read through the Psalms, I often like to pray through them. And here's the one, this is where I feel uncomfortable because I come to that and hear a just cause, oh God. Oh, I don't feel comfortable with that. My lips are free from deceit. I know you want me to say that it is, but I, you know. Here's where our confidence comes from. The righteousness of Christ. I can come before God with confidence that my sins have not only been forgiven, but that I am covered by the righteousness of Christ. That he is my mediator. And so I can come with confidence that I am innocent, not on my own basis, but on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so I come with that confidence. Second, I have confidence in God's love. Where do we see God's love in this passage? Let me just point out a few things to you. Um, I know that we don't want to hear this, but the first part where we see God's love is it's, it's in verse 3. You have tried my heart. You have visited me by night. That doesn't sound loving, but God loves, uh, disciplines those whom he loves. God's testing and trials and moving in our life Sometimes the difficulties that we are going through that draw us closer to him are proof of his love. The same way, you know, when we have our kids and our your kids are doing something that's wrong, we discipline them because we love them. If, if we didn't discipline them, that would be an act of non-love. And even as a, as a grandparent, okay? I mean, I think my grandkids are the greatest, but I will correct them because I love them. Right? So God's visiting David is a proof, a showing of his love. His steadfast love in verse 7. Those of you who have been around for a while know I love that word. It's the word in Hebrew, hesed. It's his loyal love. It's his committed love. When God says, I'm going to do a thing, he does a thing. When God says, you're mine, you're mine. God has made a commitment. Now that verse in the ESV is a little confusing. It says, wondrously show your steadfast love, O Savior of those who seek refuge from the adversaries of your right hand. I kind of read that with the adversaries, right? God's right hand, which, what is it saying? He saves us by the power of his right arm, those who take refuge in him. Okay, I'm sorry, my wife is left-handed. Some of you are left-handed. I'm sorry you've been cursed that way. But in the Bible, just kidding. In the Bible, the right hand is, is, the, is the strong arm. It's the strongest part. It's, it's the warrior's arm. In fact, if you were left-handed in Israel's army, you probably learned how to fight right-handed because they all lined up together. And so the right hand was that held the sword. And so David is saying, look, I know that your right hand, your strength is there to save me. We see in this psalm in verse 8, God's protection Keep me as the apple of your eye. Um, man, anytime you want to just freak me out or gross me out, although the youth group brought a snake into my office, which, by the way, there will be a new policy about that soon. Um, 
I don't, I just I hate it when there's like movies where somebody, you know, the eye is, in fa- I just don't like, those of you who can wear contacts, I think that's a spiritual gift. Uh, I'm, I'm thankful, I'm just telling you right now, if the doctor says, you need glasses, I'm wearing glasses, I won't be putting anything in my eye. That freaks me out. I don't like it when my friend, hold on, I gotta put my contacts on, okay, let me leave the state. I don't, I don't wanna watch that. And so when, when, God says, when David says, keep me as the apple of, of your eye, he's saying, that's a protection thing. We protect our eyes. It's in this socket here with bone. You're not supposed to be. David is saying, it's unnatural to be poking your eye. Okay? God has put you, we keep me in that protective state, God. The beautiful picture that David is saying, that the center, it's the pupil here. Okay? And so we see that in his protection. We see that in his eternal promise. David ends this with saying he he is a contrast between these people that have surrounded him, and he is basically saying, look, you know what? Their portion, their inheritance, really is what David is saying. Their inheritance, what they're going to get, in verse 14, is in this life. But as for me, He said, I shall behold your face in righteousness. There's an eternal aspect there. He is saying, look, I know God's love because it's eternal. And then uh, I want to back up to verse 2. I purposely left this one last. Verse 2, he says, from your presence, let vindication come. I don't have time to go into it, but there's a few things in Psalm 17 that echo Psalm 16. And Psalm 16 ends with this verse. Psalm 16, verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. Okay, time out. That's pretty important. God, you make known to me the path of life. And he says, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand, are pleasures forevermore. Um, We struggle, if we're honest, with joy in this life. We live in a period of time where we have more amenities in our homes than people have had throughout history in their villages and towns. I mean, I remember when we first got a microwave. I remember because my grandfather was mad about it. That was not, that should not have, what, why do we, we do, do not, did you cook that in the microwave? Well, I mean, can you think about, we have stoves and ovens, and now we got something that's going to do it in half the time. Dry out all the food and make it taste bad, but it will. We, we have so many conveniences. And yet, statistics show we have more anxiety, stress, sadness than ever before. It's as if God is reminding us that things won't make us happy. And the psalmist says, you know where joy comes from? Your presence. Now let's just think about that. In the garden, Adam and Eve enjoyed the presence of God. 
They walked with him in the cool of the evening. They sinned. They were separated from God. They were cast out of the garden. And the entire storyline of the Bible is about how God is restoring his presence with his people. In the last two chapters, what do we have? We've got a city and we've got people living in the presence of God. God is restoring to his people the ability to live in the presence of God. How do we know that God loves us? Because he sent his son so that we might live eternally with him in his presence. I've said it before, but if you're looking for heaven without Jesus, you're missing the point. The point of heaven is that we live in the presence of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in perfect relationship. I don't care what the streets are paved with. I don't care if it's a mansion or a hotel room or a cot on the side of the house. The point is that we get to live in relationship with the God who created us. In his presence, there'll be fullness of joy. That's how we know that God loves us. Where does our confidence come from? God desires to save. He says in verse 7, O Savior of those who seek refuge. Now, I just want to say, it doesn't, it doesn't work if you're praying that God would save you from your poverty, but you're not asking God to save you from your selfishness. It doesn't work if you're praying that God would restore your relationship with so-and-so if you're not asking God to deal with your anger issues. In other words, God will save you, but that saving often comes through changing you. And so sometimes we just want God to fix, we want God to fix the situation without changing us. I, I, when we were uh, visiting Cote d'Ivoire with... Uh, the Ragsdales, uh, it was always funny to me. I, I love watching the building projects in Africa because they're so different than the United States. And one of the things that I just never quite understood is they built a lot of buildings with cinder block. And when they're building these buildings with cinder block, there's work that needs to go on, you know, at some point higher than they're standing. And so they had a very simple solution. They'd punch a hole in the cinder block over here, punch a hole in the cinder block over here, and they would make scaffolding right into the side of the building. It just seems counterintuitive to me to put holes in the building that you're building. Okay? There are times where we just want God to fix something without dealing with the actual foundational issues that are in our life. And what I'm saying is God will save. He will save. But it often comes with God changing our hearts as well. God's justice towards the wicked. Now, who are the wicked? Uh, we're not going to go through all of verses 9 through uh, 13 and 14 here describing the wicked. But here's just a few things. There are those who do violence, verse 9. Verse 10, those who close their hearts to pity. And then in verse 10 again, those who are arrogant. 
Now, I hate it when God does this, but obviously I'm studying this this week and I'm going through life. And so one time this morning, uh, one, one morning this week, I was going through uh, Don Pedro's drive through They have a really nice breakfast burrito in the morning and I was treating myself to one. It was very, it's like 8, 7.30, 8 o'clock in the morning. And as I'm standing at the, I don't know, the little box where you order things, sitting on the sidewalk there at 8 a.m. was a man who was three-fourths of the way through a big beer, obviously drunk, and asking people that were going through the drive-through if they have three or four dollars. Now, in all honesty, if you would have asked me to buy him a breakfast burrito, I would have done it. Um, but I wasn't going to give him three or four dollars, nor would I ever, because I, I think he would have just bought another beer, and I, he clearly didn't need one. But the gal in front of me did. And I then began to wrestle with this. We shouldn't give money, we should do this. And I realized that to some extent, now again, I'm not, I don't think it's right to give money out. But I questioned the pity in my heart. What I saw was a drunk man at 8 a.m. in shambles. In confession, what I didn't see was God's creation who had been broken by life. When we fail to show pity, when we arrogantly say, I'm not drunk at eight o'clock in the morning, hopefully never, we are acting as violent, pitiless, arrogant people that God describes as wicked. We need to be careful how we look at other people. And then finally here, the wicked are described as those who are ready to ambush God's people. What a picture here in verse 12. He's like a lion eager to tear, as a young lion lurking in ambush. Arise, O Lord, confront him, subdue him, deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword. Now, where does our confidence come from? The righteousness of Christ, God's love, God's desire to save, God's justice towards the wicked, and then also God's ability. Uh, Make no mistake, God is able to save. And what David does here, and it's not as clear in the English as it is in the Hebrew, but David draws some imagery from two places in in the Old Testament. There are two of the songs of Moses, one in Exodus 15, the other one, uh, the uh, song in Deuteronomy 32. Is that right? Yes. And so David grabs some of the words from Moses' song. Uh, the first one is in verse 7. The ESV translates, wondrously show. And in, 15, uh, in Exodus 15, 11, doing wonders. But the Hebrew words, the two Hebrew words are the same. In verse 7, he says, your steadfast love. In chapter 15, verse 13 of Exodus, your steadfast love. In chapter 7, your right, or in verse 7, your right hand. In chapter 15, verse 12, your right hand. He's pulling from this song. And then this imagery that I already referred to, the apple of your eye, and then he goes on to talk about the shadow of your wings from verse 8 are quotes from Deuteronomy 32, verses 10 and 12. Now, it's really interesting, and it's funny, uh, again, we don't, I didn't plan this. Um, 
Fred kind of mentioned this, or we were, when we were doing our Bible reading, we get to the end of Psalm 32, and it just struck me this time. God has said to, to Moses, uh, uh, your time is, is done, uh, you're going to soon die, and uh, uh, here's a few things I want you to do before you die. I want you to write a song. And it just really stood out to me. Now, I don't know whether God just, you know, gave him the song, whether, uh, you know, obviously Moses has written a song before, so it just seems like you're getting to the end of your life. Here, I got one more thing for you. Do a song, write a song. Well, it doesn't seem that easy to me. Uh, surely there's other things you would like me to do in my final days. No, I want you to write a song and I want you to teach it to the people. That's inter- Why? Let's face it. Some of our young people and some of you can quote more song lyrics than you can Bible verses. Man, I'm telling you, I have a brother-in-law who can't remember what the next thing, you know, last thing he ate was, but if you name a 70s, two lines in a 70s song, he can tell you who wrote it, when, and the album, just all of this information just pours out of him. We remember things in this song. David had learned these songs and he repeats them in the psalm that he is writing. And we're reminded of God's ability. God's ability is that he wondrously shows his steadfast love. We're constantly reminded in the Old Testament of God's loyal love and this right hand and the apple of our eye and the shadow of our wings. So these songs are written into our hearts. Now I know that some of you are going through difficult times and and you say, man, I, I want to just pray that God would remove this or God would fix this. And I've prayed and I've prayed and i prayed and I just, it doesn't seem like God is doing that for me. Now, I want to assure you, please, God loves you. And as many stories we can tell of God's deliverance, there are times when God says, no, not this time. It, just in our reading this week in Acts, I don't know if you picked up on it, but there was, there was, in our Acts reading, it says that James was martyred. And then Peter was arrested, and God delivered Peter. I don't know if you did. What? Wait a minute. Why didn't God deliver James? And so we recognize that sometimes God has things on our side or whatever it is that God has, just leaves there, but, but God does answer prayer. And as I was studying for this psalm, uh, there was a, a mention of a commentary. I don't have this one of uh, Harry Ironside, which is just a, an old-time commentary writer. And, uh, and apparently he has uh, three psalms that he uses to kind of tell the whole story of psalms. I thought that was kind of interesting. So let me share this with you. Psalm 1830, on your notes there. This God, his way is perfect. Sum up the whole, the whole of Psalms here. This God, his way is perfect. Is God perfect? He is holy. He is righteous. He is good. Psalm 103, verse 15. As for man, his days are like grass. How's your grass looking right about now? Boy, we don't have to be reminded during the summer that grass withers, do we? My wife, a plant for Mother's Day out on the deck, and it's just at the place where some of the rain didn't catch it during some of the rainy, and we, we didn't go out to the deck to water our flowers because it was getting done by God, but this one wasn't. It's withered. 
We're trying to bring it back to life. I'm trying to tell my wife it's gone, but we're trying to, we're trying to nurse it back to health. Grass, we, our days, folks, I, don't, I know that we, we've got so many opportunities and, and things, but our, there's a certain amount of days that we have. And then the third one he picked from Psalm 17, verse 15. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. God is perfect. I would add in there, uh, Psalm uh, 51 uh, brought forth an iniquity, that I was brought forth in iniquity. I've sinned, and that my days are limited, but I shall behold the face of righteousness. How do we do that? When we repent and acknowledge our need for a Savior. David is looking for a Savior from a situation. His prayer is dependent on a savior for eternity that can rescue him from his sins. Folks, whatever your circumstance is, know that God is good, that we have sinned, our days are numbered. But if we trust in Jesus Christ, if we seek him for forgiveness of sins, we will dwell with him in righteousness forever. Now, there may be some difficulties during this time, financially, physically, emotionally, relationally, that we will face. But in heaven, we will be in the presence of a good God and we will enjoy fullness of joy in relationship with him. You know, I, uh, I think sometimes um, I want to know what God has next for me. I, I, but the reality is I probably don't. I guess part of me thinks if I just knew that whatever struggle it is was gonna, it was gonna be over in a year or two, then I could, I, then I, then I could, I could face it but I probably don't want to know what the next struggle is after that. But I do know this, that our days of struggling here are limited and they're purposeful. And so our prayer is, God, deliver me and mold me and shape me into the person you want me to be for your glory. God moves mountains. Sometimes that mountain is our heart. Let's pray. Oh, application. Skipped right over that. Give the guy one Sunday off, right? Prayer moves mountains. How's your personal prayer time going? Take some time to evaluate that. How's your, how's your corporate time? How's prayer going in your uh, small group? A few suggestions here. Sometimes when we're struggling in our prayer time, we need to mix it up a little bit. If you're sitting there and you're falling asleep in your prayer, maybe do some prayer journaling. Um, if, you're, if you're struggling with prayer, maybe grab a prayer uh, guide or book that you can kind of pray through. The Psalms work well. There's other ones out there. Uh, as a corporate group, uh, maybe take some time to go, hey, we're going to do things different tonight. We're just going to get down on your knees. You know what really changes a prayer meeting? When you get down on your knees. Some of you are older. You're going, yeah, it makes it a lot shorter. I can't stay down there very long. No, the idea of just coming. <laughs> I see your faces. I know what you're thinking. Um, <laughs> The, the time of just getting serious in that prayer time, okay? And then we mentioned at the beginning here that we're uh, taking prayer requests from our everyday 
uh, everybody every day. And look, I know some of you are very private people and you, you're just worried. about. This is a community, this is a family, and, and we're praying for things. And I tell you, it really helps me because I can look out there and some of you I've been praying very for specifically for this week. But it just, it bugs me and it bugs, the, just being honest with you, we see your face on our little prayer journal and it's just blank. I want to pray for you. So fill those out in the next few weeks and we'll pray for those. All right, now let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. Uh, it's awesome to watch you work. In our focus on prayer, we thank you that you are with us. And uh, we thank you that you um, are in the midst of whatever difficulty or struggle that we're going through. And so, Lord, we do ask that we would see uh, you moving in our church, in our lives, and mission, um, that we would see things changing because of the faithfulness uh, of you and of our people in prayer. And so, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to watch this. Um, and uh, we just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.